chapter 4, verse 4. I'm going to read it here in a second. You don't need to stand for it. Just one verse this morning. I guess I shouldn't say just one verse. One verse is enough, but that's all we're going to be looking at this morning. And um, I guess in, in some ways, kind of, I'll give you a little background for this message today. I know we're in Galatians. Uh, Garrett said something last week in his message um, that I've been thinking about all week and having conversations with people about that were initiated by them, and he just kind of said this, he said, Christians should be the happiest people on earth, I don't know if you guys remember him saying that, but it it stood out to me when he said it, Um, it's not an original thought by Garrett, uh, and I think he said that as well, or maybe alluded to it, there's a lot of people that would would say that, just as believers, we we have a lot to be happy about, Um, and we should be the happiest people on earth. Um, and so I've been thinking about it and in part praying and working on two different messages all week and sort of just sort of landed on this one um, that has to do with rejoicing, has to do about us being happy in the Lord. And so I'm going to read from Philippians chapter 4, I think just verse 4 unless something changes, but let me just start and then I'll pray after I'm done reading. The Apostle Paul wrote the following, he said, rejoice In the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much again for the opportunity to be here, to be in your word, to be instructed by it, to um, ask you, Lord, really to take these words and plant them in our hearts. Lord, to see a command like this, Lord, that, that it would find a place in our hearts, and it would be rooted and grounded there, and we as your people who have been redeemed by the blood of Jesus Christ would be reminded and encouraged and provoked to rejoice in the Lord Jesus Christ always, Lord, in every circumstance, in every moment of life. Lord, even those moments when we find ourselves lamenting or grieving or being sad or being discouraged, Lord, there would be joy present in our hearts and would find expression in some way that is appropriate. Lord, we want to live lives that honor You. And Lord, we want to be happy, joyful, grateful men and women who've been called by You to live our lives for you and for your glory. Men and women who trust you for each and every moment of our lives, the good things and even the bad things, knowing that you are a good and gracious God, merciful, at work in all things for our good. And so, Lord, would you help us, even in this message, in this short time, in your word, Lord, you would help us to focus on the Lord Jesus Christ, to be reminded of our Savior, and to be encouraged and reminded to be thinking about Jesus, meditating on the goodness of Jesus, and the benefits that we have in Christ, so that these thoughts would also affect our hearts and our emotions. 
as we seek to live life for you and for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. This is a story I think I've shared before, but I'm going to share it again. Um, so in 1942, Lieutenant Colonel Jimmy Doolittle, he led this World War II squadron of 16 B-25 bombers over Japan on a mission to retaliate for the attack upon Pearl Harbor. And this mission was considered a success in many ways. But this mission also came with a price. Most of the men, most of the men were able to make it back from this mission. But as planes were shot down, eight men were captured by the Japanese. In April of 1943, a year after these men were captured, President Roosevelt announced that the Japanese had executed four of these eight men and the other four were put into prison and were given a death sentence. The Japanese never said which of the four men died, leaving the families of all eight of these men to wonder and agonize over who was alive. This uncertainty, though, was turned into rejoicing for four of the eight families in August of 1945 when a rescue team parachuted into this prison camp and rescued the remaining four men. And they interviewed the moms, and here was their response. One mother just asked, is it true? You can imagine just living in all of this uncertainty for so long, and then all of a sudden you find out your son is alive, and so she's just left saying, is this reality? Another mother said, thank God he's safe. We've waited so long for this news. And so we see this response of just gratitude, just thanking God that her son was alive. The third mother responded this way, it's what I've been praying for all night. It's wonderful, of course, but I keep thinking how terrible it is for the other mothers whose sons weren't in the group rescued. Again, a very reasonable response, a gratefulness to God for her son being alive. And yet, at the same time, there's this grief present as she enters into the sadness of the other families who lost their son or found out they lost their son. And then the fourth mother said the following. We're all rejoicing, and there'll be plenty more rejoicing when he gets back home. Can you imagine being a mom, a dad, a sister, brother, or a friend of these young men who were rescued after three years of not knowing that if they were dead or alive? After the initial shock of the entire experience wore off, I imagine that there would be a lot of rejoicing. I imagine that we would be very grateful if our brother or friend was coming home after we didn't know if he was alive or not. I imagine our response would be very similar to the fourth mother who said, we're all rejoicing. We're all rejoicing and there will be plenty more rejoicing when he actually gets home. I don't, I don't think it's, it's difficult to enter into that mother's experience or really any of the other three mothers' experience of just being grateful, being full of just joy and excitement to God for the fact of God really bringing our son home. I don't think it's, it's difficult to understand the way in which they responded in that situation. I think rejoicing is appropriate, and I think that's what we'd all be doing. 
having a major party, celebrating the grace of God and just thanking God and praising God for bringing our son or our friend home. But what if you didn't receive that good news on that day? But instead, you received the bad news that your boy was one of the four young men killed. I imagine that would be very difficult news to hear. I imagine it would be a very painful experience. I imagine a lot of sorrow, a lot of sadness, a lot of grieving, and not a lot of joy. The reality for us all is that sooner or later, we will all be the recipient of bad news. News that rudely interrupts our perfect plan that we have made for our lives. It might be news that someone you loved has died. It might be news that you just didn't get the job that you had been working hard for, that you had been putting in extra hours for, the the job that you've been hoping for and praying for. It might be news that you yourself have been diagnosed with a serious illness. Or the news that you just didn't get into the college that you wanted to. See, bad news is a reality for all of us as we live in a broken world. This world that we live in, it is, it is a broken world. It's not a perfect world. It's the world that God has called us to live in. But it's not heaven. It's not heaven. I feel like sometimes i got to remind us of this because if you're anything like me, we like to sometimes believe that we can have what God has for us in heaven here. And it just doesn't happen. This is not ultimately our home. This is not heaven. This is not perfect. There is sin that remains in this world. There are hard things that exist in this world. There is a thing called suffering that exists in this world. It's not heaven. When we get to heaven, there will be no more sin. There will be no more brokenness. There will be no more pain. It will be perfect. It'll be life as God has called and created us to live. But this, the world we're living in right now, the the world that you just took a big breath and breathed in, is not perfect. It's broken. I know you know this, but I know we, we also need to be reminded of this because we live in this world. And this world has a lot of great news for us. There's a lot of really good things that we get to experience. A lot of things we get to enjoy. Like today's one of those days. It's probably going to be a really nice day today. It's one of those days that you're probably thinking, man, I can't wait to get out of church. I'm going to go do all of these things. You're going to plan to just enjoy this weather unless you absolutely hate pollen. But there's a purpose for the pollen. But the pollen, I think, in part, in the way you react to it is, is, is because this world is broken broken. Sin remains. Relationships break. They need to be reconciled. And so we live in this broken world. And since we live in this world, what we're going to experience is we're going to experience a bunch of good news at times. And we will all experience some bad news at times. And and we're called to live and react to this news in in a way, and I say we as believers, in a way that, that honors 
the Lord. And in this text, one of those ways in which we are called to respond to all of life's circumstances, when I say all of life, we're going to see it really means all of life. And we're called to respond by rejoicing in the Lord always. That's the main point. I didn't create anything special. Typically when I put together a message, there's this thing, it's called a prop. The propositional points, the main points, the thing like I would say, I want you as a church to take this home with you, think about it, meditate on it, and seek to live it out this week as you seek to live before the glory of the Lord. And sometimes you have to carefully craft these things. And I'd say when you're preaching on one verse, and it's a verse like this, that's the prop. There's no creativity out of me on this one. This is, this is just God speaking to us through His Word. And He says the following. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. That, that's what the Lord is calling us to do. There's other things that He calls us to do throughout Scripture, but as we look at this one verse, He's speaking to us in regards to living the lives we've been called to live in the good news and in the bad news. As believers, we're, we're called to be happy people. Now, this doesn't mean we can't be sad sometimes. doesn't mean we can't lament sometimes. doesn't mean we, we don't grieve because those are appropriate responses as well. But, but in this section of Scripture, what he's calling us to do is to rejoice in the Lord always. And so we're going to sort of pick that apart by looking at two points this morning. And again, I'm not, I'm not working real hard. I'm being creative. I feel like this is, just, this is just really simple in this text. It's challenging. It's challenging in its application. But these, these are God's words in the first part what we learn and we're commanded to do is rejoice in the Lord so point number one rejoice in the Lord and just so you know joy in this letter for the apostle Paul it's a pretty big deal if you were to read through this letter that he wrote to the Philippians you'd notice that he was he was a happy man in all of the situations that he he encountered he he was happy doesn't mean he wasn't sad at different points, but in this letter, joy is a big deal to the Apostle Paul. And just so you know, he, he wrote this letter sitting in a jail cell. So life wasn't comfortable for him when he's writing this letter, but what we find is we find a happy Paul writing to people, encouraging them to find joy in the Lord, and specifically in this text, to rejoice in the Lord Jesus Christ. And so I'm going to read a couple of these references he makes. Philippians chapter 1, verse 18, he, he asks this question. This is one of my favorite questions and parts of Philippians. He just says, what then? And you're probably thinking, what's he talking about? Well, there's some context. And so he's in jail. There's these people around him that are looking to mock him, looking to make life hard for him. And, and in their minds, they, they create this plan where they're going to they're gonna try to hurt the Apostle Paul, who's preaching the gospel to people because he wants them to get saved and he wants them to have this right relationship with God. And so he's preaching the gospel. He gets thrown into jail. And so he's not out there preaching the gospel. And so here comes these people 
And they start to preach the gospel for him, thinking that, that he's going to be mad at them. So they, they do it out of rivalry, is what scripture says. And he just says, okay, you want to know what I think about this? What then? Here's his answer. Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed, and in that I rejoice. That's some serious humility. See, I love this section because it, it reveals his heart. How, how can he rejoice as he sits in prison when there's these people out there seeking to mock and hurt him and they're, they're preaching his gospel to everybody else and his response is, I, I'm rejoicing. Paul, Paul, why are you rejoicing? Because the gospel's being proclaimed. Or if we're to think about it this way, because it's not about him. In his mind and in his thinking, his life in this situation is focused on the Lord Jesus Christ and the Lord Jesus Christ being proclaimed and other people hearing this good news. And in that, he finds great joy. Chapter 2, verse 1, he said the following, If there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. And so he's already joyful because he has this relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ and he's encouraging the Philippians to complete his joy by, by them too having the mind of Christ, entering into this participation with him in the gospel. Again, not necessarily thinking about himself, thinking about those who are listening to it. And he finds great joy in that. He's happy. Remember, he's in a prison cell as he writes this letter. Verse 17 of the same chapter, he says, Even if I am to be poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrificial offering of your faith, I am glad and rejoice with you all. Likewise, you also should be glad and rejoice with me. Imagine that. Even if I am to be poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrificial offering of your faith, even if I have to die for the sake of the gospel advancing in your life and in the life of others, he says the following, I am glad and I rejoice. And he goes, likewise, you also should be glad and rejoice with me. Chapter 2, verse 29, he says, So receive him, Epaphroditus, in the Lord with all joy, and honor such men, for he nearly died for the work of Christ, risking his life to complete what was lacking in your service of me. Apparently, you know, you, you could... You could assume or you could begin to read into some of this that joy might have been a problem for them. So if you're thinking to yourself, I'm not, I'm not naturally a happy person. Um, I have to fight really hard to be joyful. You're, you're not alone. You're not alone in that. Fighting for joy is hard sometimes. And so Paul's writing this letter and he's, he's even encouraging, hey, Epaphroditus is coming to you. Receive him with joy. Know that he's a brother in the Lord. Know that he's been working hard in this ministry, proclaiming the gospel with me, and I'm sending him to you, and he's been sick. But just, 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 re just receive him with joy. See, joy is important. 
the way in which we interact with one another, the way in which we say hi to one another, I think joy should characterize some of that. When we greet another brother or sister, it should make us happy, no matter who they are. You know why it should make us happy? Because the grace of God has so affected them in their lives that that God has saved them. This is a brother or sister that we are going to spend eternity in heaven with. Let's receive one another with joy. And then Philippians chapter 3 verse 1, he writes the following. Finally, my brothers, rejoice in the Lord. To write the same things to you is no trouble to me and it is safe for you. It's safe for you. It's safe for us to rejoice in the Lord. It seems kind of strange when I think about it. It's it's safe to rejoice in the Lord. It it takes a little bit. You've got to think about why why would it be safe to rejoice in the Lord? Well, think about it. If we rejoice in something else, what would that something else be besides the Lord? It would be something that's not the Lord. It would be something that changes. It would be something that is is subject to all the things I talked about at the beginning of this message. It'd be subject to the good things and the bad things. But when we find our joy in the Lord, we're finding our joy in something that never changes. Constant. And it's safe because it protects us from trusting in those things that do change. Those things that distract us from focusing on our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And so that's all leading up to chapter 4, the verse that we're going to look at. And so in case, if you were reading through Philippians, in case you didn't get the fact that we're called to be happy, joyful believers, trusting in the Lord Jesus Christ, rejoicing in the Lord, he writes the following. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say, rejoice. Paul's main focus in this verse is not necessarily how we express this joy, though it needs to be expressed, but but where we find it. See, he's directing the Philippians and, and us as well back to the Lord Jesus Christ. He's making sure that they and we don't lose focus and that and that we continue to stand firm in the Lord by rejoicing in the Lord. He's making sure that that their joy was not based upon their circumstances, but instead was rooted and grounded in the good news about Jesus Christ. See, our joy cannot be based upon our circumstances. It can't be based upon the things that we're experiencing in this life, but instead it needs to be rooted and grounded in the Lord Jesus Christ. And the reason for this is because everything changes. It just changes. One day, it could be like today, warm and sunny. And the next day, it could be cold and rainy. Or one day, you could be all happy, climbing up on your ladder, ready to paint your front porch, all the trim with your gallon of white paint, thinking you're going to make this thing look really, really nice. And the next thing that could happen is you could drop that gallon of white paint all over your brick and have it splattered on your windows, all of your plants, your doors, your sidewalk, your grass. 
and even hit some of your cars. It might have happened to me a couple of years ago. Went from being really happy, panicking, no joy, calling my friend Chuck Walters, asking for his pressure washer, who I believe he brought that thing over for me, and we were able to sort of kind of clean that up. And so that's a silly illustration, but something that happened this, this past week or two. And so I, I coach a baseball team here at Kings, and, and we, we had this, this five-game winning streak going on where we were just putting up all of these runs. And I was a happy coach. One game we won 20 to zero. And by that, like, I just mean kids hitting the baseball, pitchers throwing strikes. And then, and then we played another game and we lost three to two. And it probably has taken me a week to get over that loss. And then I have another friend who's also a coach, and, and he took a picture of a, another game that this team had played, and, and they barely won, beating a team that we won by like 20 runs against. And I'm looking at this, and I'm wondering why in the world he would send it to me. And so I just responded back, saying, this does not make me happy. And so just fighting through, I don't know if you guys have ever experienced that. There's just some things in life, when you lose at, it doesn't have to be a game, it could just be something that you don't do really well at, that, that the fight for joy is real. I mean, I, I had practice. I'll use another example. I was in practice the other day. It was Friday. Spring break just started. I was happy. I got there early. I set the field up. I love these kids. I love coaching them. And I get there early because I just set them up. Anybody wants to practice early, I'm here to do that. These kids just hit spring break. Most of them just left school. And they show up, and I'm waiting on the field. Practice starts at 4 o'clock. And I watch almost all of them walk from their cars to the dugout, and I'm sitting there where they're supposed to be, and I set my timer. I like to set my timer. And I'm sitting there. They know where they need to be, and they're all walking, walking to me, and they're late now, six minutes. And no lie, in a matter of six minutes, my heart went from really happy to really angry. I was able to kind of control it, but that's just how life happens. It just doesn't go the way we want it to go. I planned out this great day, didn't work that way, and they too went from really happy spring break to all of a sudden, I hate my coach. True, it's just how it works. You don't want to mess with me in those contexts, but I get it and I understand it. The point is, good day, bad day, that's just part of life. And if our joy is rooted in our circumstances, we will be miserable people at times. We can be really happy when it's going well, and we can be Debbie Downers when it's not. See, Paul's aware of this temptation, and that's why he commands the Philippians and us this morning to rejoice in the Lord. Find your joy in Christ. His point here is that our delight must be in the Lord Jesus Christ alone because Jesus never changes and the circumstances of life can never take this joy away. And it doesn't mean that it's just sort of this magical thing that just happens. It's a fight. It's a fight to remind ourselves that our joy is found in not how people respond to me or whether we win or lose, but it's meant to be primarily rooted and grounded in Christ. And when it's rooted and grounded in Christ, it can't really be taken away. Can't be taken away. True and lasting joy, it's found only in Jesus Christ. And so here's a question. 
Are you delighting in Jesus Christ? Do you find great joy in knowing Him? Thinking about Him? What He's done for you? What He's secured for you forever? Does that, does that make your heart happy? Do you like to sing about these things? As we were just doing. Don Carson wrote the following. In regards to thinking about Christ, finding joy in Christ, he said this. He said, surely all redeemed men and women will want to rejoice in the Lord. Our sins, now he's just going to recount some of these things that are just great for us to find joy in. He says, our sins have been forgiven. We have been declared righteous because another has borne our guilt. We have received the gift of the Spirit, the down payment of the promised inheritance that will be ours when Jesus comes again. We are children of the living God. Our lives may be fraught with difficulty, but eternity awaits us. Secured by the Son of God, we shall see Christ face to face and spend eternity in the purest worship and in consummated holiness. If we fail to respond with joy and gratitude when we are reminded of these things, it is either because we have not properly grasped the depth of the abyss of our own sinful natures and of the curse from which we have been freed by Jesus, or because we have not adequately surveyed the splendor of the heights to which we have been raised. And so what he's saying is, when you think about these things, when you meditate on these truths about Christ, and it doesn't move your heart to a place of joy. Now, don't don't get in a place where you're just just overwhelmed with joy. It can just move a little bit sometimes. But if, if you're able to read things like our sins have been forgiven, we've been declared righteous because another has borne our guilt, we have received the gift of the Spirit, the down payment of the promised inheritance that we will be ours when Jesus comes in. If you can think about those things, read these things, and you're not affected in any way, what, he, what Don Carson would say is there's a couple reasons for it. One of those reasons is, is maybe you don't really understand how big of a sinner you really are and the grace of God in which he's poured out upon you by killing his son so that you would be forever forgiven. Or he said that kind of nicely. What I would say is maybe you're not saved. I don't say that to produce any doubt in your life, but if there's not a joy present anywhere in your life when you think about the gospel and all that God has done for you through sending his son, the the reality is you, you, you might know truths about Christ, but it really hasn't affected your heart. And again, I'm not saying you have to be super happy all the time. There's not that in my mind. I'm just saying there there needs to be some joy. There needs to be some affection. And the other reason what he's getting at is, is, is maybe you're not ever really thinking about it. Maybe you've become distracted. He says it this way. Maybe you've, you've not adequately surveyed the splendor of the heights to which you've been raised. Which I think a lot of us can fall into, including myself sometimes. Meaning, we can invest a lot of our time, a lot of our effort, a lot of our thoughts in things that are not the Lord. And I I think that really would, would describe the church in general, and it could describe my life a lot, and it probably fits your life too. And by that I mean, just just think about how much time have you spent actually thinking 
about Jesus Christ. Meditating on what he has done for you compared to the amount of time and effort you've spent thinking about what you're going to do after church today or what you did yesterday or how much time you think about your job or how much time you actually think about your schoolwork, especially college kids. You're studying a lot. You're doing these things. I'm not saying don't do that. I'm just saying what Don Carson is saying here is one of the reasons we don't find great joy in the Lord is because we rarely think about it. And so our hearts aren't moved to this place of gratitude and joy because we give very little time to them. Therefore, it produces not a lot of joy. And I would challenge us here. I would challenge us. If that's us, or I'd say when that is us, I'd say give yourself to thinking about the Lord. Give yourself to meditating on gospel truths. Spend time in God's word looking for Christ. Thanking God for him. Allowing for your heart to be stirred. Just think about it in this way. What's something that you're really excited about doing? I can give you a lot of examples in my life, but I'm not going to. There's just stuff that you love. It might be gardening. It might be playing a certain sport. It might be playing an instrument. It might be taking your wife on a date and all these kind of things. And you're just, you're just thinking about it all the time. You can't wait to get there because you've thought about it and you've planned it out. And so there's affection for it. You get excited thinking about it but maybe that doesn't translate to your relationship with the Lord. And I just say, are you, are you, are you giving any time to thinking about the Lord? Because the affections get stirred when we think about who he is and what he's done for us. And so the fight for joy, it's a fight. There's effort that needs to go into it. And so I just encourage you guys, find your joy in the Lord. Meditate on the Lord. Think about the Lord. This leads us to our final point, where he just says, rejoice in the Lord always. The emphasis is on always. Verse 4, rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Paul doesn't give the Philippians here like this 15-minute break from rejoicing in the Lord. He's aware of their current situation. He's aware that they were facing opposition in the form of persecution for being believers He's aware that their life was difficult and it would continue to be difficult for them. He's aware that they were suffering and it hurt. Remember, he wrote this letter from a jail cell as he too was suffering for the sake of the gospel. See, Paul was well acquainted with suffering, hurt, and lost. He experienced many days that didn't turn out as he had planned them to go. He suffered physically and he witnessed others suffer as well. Paul wasn't asking the Philippians to do something that he himself wasn't willing to do or hadn't done himself. Paul was a man that knew how to suffer for the sake of the gospel. And, and throughout it all, what we find him doing in the midst of suffering is rejoicing in the Lord. And he calls for them to do the same, to rejoice in the Lord always, whether in a jail cell or not, but to always in Every situation, every moment in life, he calls for them and for us to rejoice in the Lord. And just so you know, like, I know sometimes you've got to look things up. Like, always, always literally means this, all the time. Yeah, it does. On every occasion, 
without exception, continuously, uninterruptedly, forever, in any event, at any time. And so we're called to find joy and to express that joy in the Lord always. It's hard. If you were to follow me around this past week, you'd say, you didn't do it always. I know I repented a lot. Trusting the Lord for this. Fighting for joy. And He calls for us to do this. This command to rejoice in the Lord always, it includes those great moments in our lives. It includes those those moments when, when marriage is full of love and peace. I love weddings. I, I, I love watching young people get married. I love watching them say their vows. I like watching mom and dad and grandmas and grandpas and everybody show up and sort of in a context like this and they kiss the bride and, or he kisses the bride and everybody erupts with this great joy and they walk down this aisle and, and then they kiss again and somebody takes another picture and then they go to this party and they introduce them and everybody dances on their way in and it's just one big party. It's fun, isn't it? Everybody typically is happy. Sometimes there's some crazy stuff that happens, but that usually is off to the side. But for the most part, happy people, husband and wife, are just, just happy. And, and it's easy to rejoice in those moments, isn't it? But in the back of my head, and this is where I can be a Debbie Downer sometimes, and I've been a pastor for a while, and I, I love when people say vows, and they say, till death do us part. I'm going to fight for this thing because I I love you. I love you more than anybody else in the world and I'll never love anybody like I love you. But we live in a broken world, don't we? Because in the back of my mind, I'm watching that. I'm thinking that's going to be tested. And anybody that's been married longer in a day will tell you the same thing. It gets tested. You've got to fight for joy. Because marriage, Lord willing, you're going to have a lot, a lot, a lot of good days. But there will be some bad days. You will fight. Things will happen. Your husband may not be the guy 25, 35, 40 years later that that you thought when you said, I do. That people change and things happen and sin enters into that relationship. But God calls for us in those moments, rejoice in the Lord. Always. It's easy to rejoice in the Lord when your kids are obeying, right? But what about when they disobey? What about when when they decide that your faith is not their faith and they're not going to do what you want them to do anymore and, and their life doesn't turn out the way you wanted it to do or be? Well, in those moments, we still rejoice in the Lord. doesn't mean it's easy. Again, ask any parent who has teenagers or older kids. The fight is real but we're called to rejoice. It's easy to rejoice when friendships are great, when they're fruitful. It's hard to rejoice when friends betray you or when they gossip or slander you or don't return calls or ignore you, don't invite you to the things you used to get invited to. But Paul would say, no, in those situations too, we're called to rejoice in the Lord. It's easy to rejoice when the bank account is full And the job is bringing in more money than you've ever made in your entire life. It's hard to rejoice when the bank account's not full 
and you get hit with a tax bill you weren't expecting, or a car payment, not a car payment, a, a car repair bill that maybe you didn't want at the moment. But what Paul would say, no, in that circumstance as well, we're called to rejoice. Because our joy is not in the car, our joy is in the Lord. It's easy to rejoice when you're that mom that finds out your son's alive and he's coming home. It's hard to rejoice when you find out your son's not coming home or your daughter or someone you love has just passed away. What Paul would say, and I don't think Paul would lead into this conversation, just so you know, this is not what I'm saying. Paul wouldn't say to that mom, well, you need to rejoice. That's not how the Apostle Paul worked, and I don't think that's how we would, but, but what he would say is, the Lord's at work somewhere in this. And though there's grieving, and though there's sadness, somewhere present, at some point in time, there should be a little bit of joy. See, rejoicing in the Lord always means every single moment of our lives. The good days, the bad days. Because the Lord is at work. Romans 8.28 says this. This is just one of those, those theological truths that have to function in the bad days. It says this, And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. For those who are called according to his purpose. J.I. Packer, in Knowing God, wrote the following. He said, every single thing that happens to us expresses God's love to us. That's one of those truths that you either believe or you don't. And I'd say, if you don't believe it, I would say, I'd ask the question, why? Knowing who God is, because he's either in control of everything or he's not. And his word would say, no, he's in control of everything. And his word just says in Romans 8.28 that he's in control of everything and he's at work in everything for our good. And so he says, every single thing that happens to us expresses God's love to us. Doesn't mean we have to understand it. And comes to us for the furthering of God's purposes for us. So, or thus, so far as we are concerned, God is love to us. Holy, omnipotent love at every moment and in every event of every day's life. Even when we cannot see the why and the wherefore of God's dealings, we know that there is love in and behind them. And so we can rejoice always. Even when, humanly speaking, things are going wrong, we know that the true story of our life, when known, will prove to be, as the hymn says, mercy from first to last. And we are content. So truths like this, just so you know how my mind works and how I, I think about the doctrine of God, I, th- I think about it in this way. And I prepare my heart with truths like this for the bad news. Because I know it's coming. And so in some ways, a message like this, it's a call, rejoice, be happy in the Lord. It's also a little bit of preparation. For when the bad news comes, what you must know is that you have a God that so loves you and is so committed to you that he died or he killed his son on a cross to save you so that all of your sins would be forgiven, that you would be forever accepted by him and that he would secure for you a place in heaven. And not just that, 
but he's so committed to you that when those bad things happen, he's never going to stop loving you, but he's going to be at work in those bad things. It might not be the way that you had your life planned out and you thought would be perfect for you. It might not be an Instagram post or any of that kind of living, but it'll be what God has perfectly chosen to walk you through for your good as he prepares you to spend eternity with him in heaven. And in that we can find joy. We don't have to understand it. And a lot of times we never will. Other than attributing it to the fact that God always knows best. And he always does what is right. And I fill in the band, join me. In closing, I guess what I'd say is our circumstances will change. But the Lord will never change. Never change. He's worked on our behalf by dying for our sins so that we might live and have eternal life. And He's continuing to work in your life right now. And He will never stop working for your good. And so let us Let us be a people who find joy in the Lord. Let us be people who think about the gospel, who who share the gospel with one another and rejoice in the good news about Jesus Christ. If you would please stand with me. We're going to end our time by rejoicing in the Lord, by worshiping Him this morning. Sing how great thou art. Oh, Lord, my God, when I in awesome wonder consider all the worlds thy hands have made, I see the stars, I hear the rolling thunder, thy power Sings my soul, my Savior God, to Thee. How great Thou art, how great Thou art. And sings my soul, my Savior God, to Thee. How great Thou art, how great Thou art. sent him to die I scarce can take it in that on the cross my burden gladly bearing he bled and died to take away our sin then sings my soul my Savior God to me Thou art, how great thou art.
when Christ shall come with shout of acclamation and take me home what joy shall fill my heart then I shall bow in humble adoration and there proclaim my God how great thou art then sings my soul my Savior God to thee how great thou art how great thou art then sings my soul my Savior God to Father, you are a great God, a wonderful Father. Thank you for sending your Son. So Lord, today as we go home, we're going to face some joys, a beautiful afternoon, and many of us will also walk back into sorrows and difficulties. Lord, would you help us in the middle of this day and this week to remember we have a heavenly Father who loves us, who works all things for our good, both the happy things and difficult things. And Lord, may we, may we learn, teach us, we pray, that even in sorrow, we can be rejoicing people because of who you are and what you have given us and promised us through Jesus our Savior. In his name we rejoice this morning. Amen. You are dismissed. Thanks so much for being with us today.